0: Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and our Week in IndyCar show for May 1st. Our guest today, the awesome, the super awesome 2013 Indy 500 winner, 2004 IndyCar Series champion, Tony Cannon from AJ Foyt Racing. After TK, we have young Braden Eaves from Ohio, currently leading the USF 2000 championship. So caught up with him and our ongoing initiative to bring more of the young road to Indie drivers, team owners, and talent in general to you here on the podcast. As always, we start off with a couple bits of news, then we move into questions that you have for me, then our guests, and then we say farewell. Definitely want to say thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. Going into not only May here, where things get really busy on the IndyCar side with the Indy Grand Prix and the Indy 500, We're also now officially celebrating the third anniversary of our little Marshall Pruitt podcast. And I will let them announce what it is. But we have Cooper that has done something really cool for the third anniversary. We're going to have some very unique giveaways for the month of May here in Indianapolis at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So if you are at the track, we're planning on having one or two live shows. Come on out to those. You'll get some freebies, some really cool freebies, courtesy of Cooper Tires. And Justice Brothers as well. Justice Brothers are doing something entirely different as a giveaway. So cannot wait for the month of May to properly kick off when motors are revving and tires are squealing at the speedway. Then we'll have some cool stuff to give away. Also, big thanks to our friends at Toronto Motorsports. They're doing all kinds of fun stuff too. They have something coming on May 25th, the day before the race. Going to be doing a pop-up shop at the Indy Memorabilia Show, which is held in one of the pavilions right behind the Pagoda. This is going to be full of indie special content. Definitely looking to the past with some great t-shirts, stickers, you name it. Also a little bit of current stuff as well. All of this done specifically for this one-day pop-up shop by TorontoMotorsports.com. Our dear friends that do all of our t-shirts for the show, the stickers and just all kinds of great fun stuff. Stuff for our pal Robin Miller. I believe there's going to be a Robin Miller shirt too. Again, all special for this month of May. So hopefully we will see you there, pals at TorontoMotorsports.com, doing great stuff along with the Justice Brothers and Cooper Tires with some cool freebies for you, listeners of The Week in IndyCar and the Marshall Pruitt podcast. Sadly, said farewell to our friend Dean McNulty. One of Canada's premier motor racing reporters, similar in vain to a Robin Miller here. Someone who has been around forever, covering the sport forever, really doing big, big things to not only make motor racing a big part of folks' lives and what they read during his time at the Toronto Sun newspaper, but just a big supporter of talent. Someone who cared, definitely cared beyond just showing up doing his job to report on an IndyCar race or whatever race he might be attending. Someone who really put his heart into what he did. And so, although I did not know Dean extremely well on a personal level, I always looked forward to seeing him when I would go north of the border for the Toronto IndyCar race, or if he was down to cover the Indy 500. Just a good man. A very, very good man. And with his loss, I do fear and no disrespect to any of the younger Canadian racing journalists trying to make a name for themselves, but there is no natural replacement for a Dean McNulty in terms of immediate stature. Obviously, Norris McDonald uh, continues to work more on the independent side. Again, nothing wrong with that, but there's not that one person that everyone can think of who's going to be the main writer, the main face, the main voice, For bringing motor racing to Canada as a whole. So in Dean's absence, definitely highlighting not only how important he was, but also how much we need for the next Dean of Speed and more like him to follow, hopefully to bring IndyCar, F1, NASCAR, you name it to the masses in the great white North. So farewell to our friend Dean McNulty. You will definitely be missed. On Monday at Indy, we had a private Honda road course test getting ready for the Indy Grand Prix. I guess keeping in mind that Chevrolet has more or less owned that event the last many years, certainly not a bad thing for Honda to spend one of their private tests there, very close to the race itself being a private test there were no lap times published that i saw uh, but looking at the info i received we had colton Herta who was fastest we had scott dixon who was right behind him a little over a tenth behind felix rosenquist was third less than a tenth behind dixie jack harvey was fourth almost matching rosenquist ryan hunter ray was fifth Marcus Erickson was sixth. Alexander Rossi, about almost a half second off of Colton's fastest time, was seventh. Santino Ferrucci, fastest among the coin cars, was eighth. Almost identical to Rossi on a day where, fairly blustery in the morning and cold, not a lot of teams turned a lot of laps. I mean, the most that I see is 97 Fireman, Sebastian, Bourdais, but by and large, there were plenty who did 60 or less. Let's see, after Santino in 8th, we had Hinch. Yeah, boy, almost identical lap time there. So Rossi, Ferrucci, and Hinchcliffe all within hundreds of one another. Marco Andretti was 10th. Bourdais was 11th. Takumisato, 12th. Graham Rahal, 13th. And Zach Veach, 14th and last among the 14 hondas almost a full second off of Herda. i would say the one thing that stood out from the test in particular owing to the speed we have seen from them all year long on road and street courses was did not expect ray hall lederman landigan racing with sato and graham ray hall to be p12 p13 among the 14 cars testing so a little bit of work to be to be done there would also say that among the andretti camp was not expecting hunter ray and rossi to be p5 and p7 and veach and p14 so none of this is end of the world type stuff sometimes you come out of a test like this and you say great i'm colton Herta. we're the harding steinbrenner team We're super fast. Great. And then you have some other teams that go, boy, we were expecting a little bit more. And they head into the upcoming week, week and a half, which is all they have until we come back for the race itself to go. All right. Well, that direction didn't work. So let's cross these things off as viable options and shift our thinking to some other directions. We're going to try the moment practice begins Friday morning at the speedway. So Keeping that in mind, that's what we'll be looking for as we get ready for the Indy Grand Prix. Some of the teams, Honda teams at least, coming out of this test, we know know they will be throwing a lot of different things at their cars to try and get some sort of front-running speed coming into frame before qualifying. All right, let's jump into the questions you sent in for me. I did mention with the rather odd timing, as a few of you called out, of the Porsche story last Friday and the very late posting of my contribution to the theme. I guess that would be Friday evening here in California. Pretty much you might have already been asleep if you're on the East Coast or further out. Um, yeah, interesting one there for sure. And as I mentioned uh, on social media... I would, uh, yeah, take some time to get into a little bit of the backstory. I don't know if the how stories come together thing interests you, but every now and then we'll try and break a little bit of that down. So, And definitely have a couple folks, too, that kicked off with a few questions that I'll try and answer specifically. But I'll start off with a little bit of the backstory. So Adam Stern was the first person that I saw who cracked open the door on the Porsche quote rumor as an engine supplier for IndyCar potential engine supplier for IndyCar been sitting on that for a while. I won't say exactly how long I'll say more than a month, but that's fine. Um, I saw Adam's thing, uh, actually take that back. I saw something from IndyCar on NBC on Instagram quoting, what adam had posted i believe on his social media feeds i saw that at i think somewhere around 3 p.m pacific friday and i wish i could tell you that uh, i was monitoring all these things and had some sort of active strategy on how to react wasn't the case at all uh, i was actually sitting in our mazda c-hex uh, 9 had been playing show for a little bit friday afternoon And was just waiting, sitting out, waiting in the Mazda and bored. And so was just thumbing through Instagram and Facebook and whatever to amuse myself or numb my brain. Saw that and said, huh, all right, well, surprised me that that had gotten out, but there it is. So I dropped racer.com editor Mark Lindenning a note and said, hey, uh, it's a little bit late in the day here. Uh, that time on Friday is generally known as taking out the trash time to stuff where you post things send out press releases as you'll sometimes see that are either low powered low valued but necessary or things that are maybe unsavory that you're hoping as few eyeballs as possible are going to see generally a no-fly zone for posting meaningful original content so anyways drop mark a note said hey we're kind of in that ugly zone, but this is rather newsy. What do you think? Should I try and cobble something together here, sitting in my car in San Jose, uh, waiting for my lady? Or should we just wait till a fresh news cycle on Monday? He said, no, we should, since it's out, we should definitely do something. So, uh, s- using my iPad, sitting in the passenger seat, using my iPad, propped up on top of my wife's purse, half supported by the steering wheel on our CX nine, uh, just put together as much as I felt that I should in terms of the story itself that I knew. So for what Adam broke, uh, that was hundred percent accurate in terms of it being a rumor in there being discussions taking place. So all accurate there. When I first learned about it, actually heard it not from open wheel, circles but actually heard about this from sports car circles and impeccable sources on the sports car side and so when i learned about it and heard about it from enough people on the sports car side that made me think hey you know this is a real thing i better start reaching out and on background get a feel from folks as to whether this is serious or not real or not and i had an idea that this was something and it was based on a pretty simple process of elimination. Now two separate things here, the process of elimination part, that was just me doing my best to figure out who this was months ago. And that was after seeing IndyCar president, Jay Fry standing out in front of uh, the garages at Daytona ahead of the Rolex 24 at daytona IMSA, imsa event and just said to him hey great to see you here i don't know if anyone told you but you guys aren't racing this weekend and he had a little chuckle and said now i've got a couple meetings lined up that's all i really needed to know and he what you know i asked could you share who and he politely declined as he should knowing that there'd be no reason for him to get on a plane and fly from Indianapolis to Daytona to talk with IMSA. That's something he could easily do over the phone, etc. Pretty easy to assume that the reason he was in Daytona was to speak with one or more interested, hopefully interested, auto manufacturers. And so thinking, just trying to think of all the manufacturers of which IMSA has many all the manufacturers that might be interested in doing something on the IndyCar engine front worked down the list and crossed off many just based on conversations I've had with them over the years or more recently, or maybe even knowing about some of the sports car plans that they have that they're working on in the background that maybe have yet to be publicly confirmed, but things where on the surface, you might say, aha, manufacturer X, they'd be perfect for an IndyCar engine. But knowing that in the background, they're actually working on a DPI, IMSA DPI for 2022 or some other program, cross them off the list. Very long process. Short, Porsche was one of two that I identified as possibly being in some kind of, I don't know if interest is the word, but inquiry phase. Hmm. What should we do? their sports car program in IMSA, their factory GT program. I don't see that going away anytime soon, but there have been lingering questions about the viability of that GTLM class. So like Ford, like a number of manufacturers, BMW, that compete in this really awesome factory GTLM class, we've been discussing and debating for months now, hmm, if this thing goes away and or collapses, What do these manufacturers do to remain in motorsport in North America? Porsche was one that I looked at and said, it's been a while, but there could be something here. So just put that in the back of my brain. And when I heard following the Rolex 24 that, "Uh uh-huh, this could actually be a real thing. This could be one of the two manufacturers that Jay was meeting with. That's where this started to heat up a little bit. So moving past the month, Of January when I did eventually hear that yes this certainly does sound like a thing that's where it definitely became an active topic for me to start diving into and then started getting confirmation from folks that yes meetings have taken place there is real interest there could be something pretty amazing here so I'll fast forward this a bit get to Long Beach because I had to skip the round at Barber motorsports park get to long beach and having already uh, updated and informed the racer team that hey this is an active thing behind the scenes we're tracking and hoping that we're going to have something that we can break at some point in time in the future spoke with a friend of mine a a german reporter not (laughs) not wolfgang two questions monster but sat down and had a good conversation with a friend of mine a german reporter who is just high character, high class guy, someone that I knew I could ask if he had heard about this, knowing that he has very deep connections within Porsche. And he said, no, I said, great. Well, that helps me to understand. This is more of a North American inquiry than say a straight from Germany inquiry did mention that of the things he'd been tracking, working on writing and whatnot, uh, and had put in print, Porsche did have a very recent Formula 1 hybrid V6, V6 engine that it developed. Something that, obviously, they're not currently in Formula 1, but was a evaluation program that they had gone through. There was a definite feeling internally that they spent a lot of money and came up with a lot of really good ideas that might go nowhere. Was there any way that they could borrow or draw from some of the knowledge gained with this small displacement v6 turbo hybrid where they might be able to not race that specifically that mo that exact motor but take what they learned and apply it somewhere obvious place would be indycar in the near future also mentioned and reiterated something that i've said been saying more of i'm going to write a commentary about it here shortly which is porsche's mandate that hey if we're going to do something brand new start from scratch in motor racing it's most likely going to involve a hybrid and in this instance my friend said yes this is a very real thing for them it's going to need to have some sort of hybrid power i said "Uh uh-huh so this could be a bit of a stumbling point another thing that i'd heard and I still haven't pinned this part down, I don't know if it's really that important, but I know the results of it now, but had been hearing coming into April that there was going to be some sort of meeting among Porsche leadership, and I don't know if the meeting was specific to deciding on IndyCar, or if it was one of 50 topics that they were making decisions on, Uh, automotive-wise, promotions, marketing, who knows, could have been a full plate of Significant decision making being done, but had heard that somewhere around Long Beach, before, during, after, there's going to be some sort of final direction taken on IndyCar. Yes or no? Gonna find out. Didn't hear anything about it before. Didn't hear anything in terms of conclusions during. And coming out of Long Beach, this is when I was hoping placed a couple of inquiries here or there behind the scenes, say, hey, you heard anything? You heard anything? More or less crickets there. And then, honestly, when I saw the news break on Friday, said, all right, well, let me ask again, push a little bit harder, since I'm sure some folks who would have been involved with this, maybe even on the Porsche side, have probably seen this news get mentioned as conversations having taken place could be a future engine supplier. And so in reaching out to a variety of people, got back some very, very firm, unequivocal, it ain't happening, period. Also got, but we also know that at times our friends in Germany and or whichever portion of the Porsche global automotive structure, could be North America, could change their mind so a little bit of an interesting thing nope not happening at all but check back tomorrow because who knows what might happen decision making wise but the real takeaway was no this is not going forward the hybrid aspect as well was brought back as a bit of a limitation one that did not make it an easy fit because no addition of a small, some sort of even just token electric hybrid assistance has been mentioned as a new portion of IndyCar's upcoming 2021 through 2026 engine rules. We'll round this off with a couple of other things that I've heard. Heard rumor, strong rumor, that there was enough interest the expression of interest to IndyCar in however many meetings that the, were held was strong enough that there was immensely high optimism that this was going to go forward. I have heard rumor, unsubstantiated, I've asked, and the series wouldn't answer. Honestly, know what I expect them to. I've heard rumor that there might have been a willingness to Move the launch of the new engine formula back by one year to accommodate Porsche, which, for reasons unknown, apparently with their potential motorsport strategy, things that they're planning to either commission or ramp down, 2022 might have been identified as the perfect year to go forward with an IndyCar engine supply if that were to happen. And on the surface, one reaction might be, well, wait a minute. They've said 21, and we expect Chevy and Honda to be there. Wouldn't this be showing favoritism by pushing the whole thing back to bring in a third and a new manufacturer? I guess one could take it that way. I would look at things the exact opposite. And no disrespect to a Kia or a Volvo If it were a Kia or Volvo, I might be inclined to say, nope, 21 is it. That's when we said we're doing it. If you want to come play, we'll welcome you. But everyone else is starting to play in 2021 with these new 2.4 liter, 200cc larger, 2.4 liter twin turbo V6s. For a brand like Porsche, not only with massive history, but equally massive finances, and a media and marketing machine, advertising machine, that is, it's a monster, a raging monster. Porsche getting invested in IndyCar with an engine in terms of bringing that awareness from coast to coast and even internationally, the type of drivers that it might be able to assist teams with, bringing them over and whatnot, just the overall uplifting aspect of what a Porsche can do versus maybe some other brands night and day difference. And so if any of this is accurate about possibly being willing to push back a year in order to get Porsche, I'd make that call every single time knowing how big and important and how many fans would come along with Porsche to follow this. Talking about the optimism, other thing I'd heard, again, and it falls into the same, haven't been able to confirm, did ask, no response, fully understand why. I'd heard that there was enough optimism that this could become a thing, that this could happen, that there might have been a plan, or at least a tentative marker on the calendar at some point this month at Indy, during the month of May, to announce it so that's not to suggest things got that far that there they were talking about announcement dates just i've heard a couple mentions and notes that the feeling was warm enough there could have been a reason to think hey if things are heading in the direction we believe they are this could be a big one really big one for us to unveil during the month of may we'll say one last thing that comes to mind on all this before I answer your questions that you've sent in specifically on Porsche and other things. There is still possibility of Porsche getting involved and definitely other brands as well. As the sources told me, we're not doing this, not going to happen, but weather changes, opinions change. This is at least something that we wanted to go talk about. This is something that there was interesting in having conversations over and exploring some of the ways that this could happen. That's not a bad thing. I know obviously we, we want to be speaking about this signed deal. Porsche is going to be in, committing to many years and all kinds of awesomeness. That's a game changer, true game changer for IndyCar to get someone like Porsche in. Realize that there is disappointment especially by me working in and around Porsche pretty closely in the sports car side of what I do. It would be a giant thing. All I can say is I hope IndyCar in their decision-making with their rules will realize that maybe some of the reasons they're struggling to convert meetings with manufacturers, many of which I've heard are, have been extremely positive, really great engagement, not just, you know, fluffery and nonsense, but true. Yeah, boy, this really does sound awesome. This, this really could be a great fit for us. And then nothing happens. I think there's just a greater recognition coming back to something I mentioned just a little while ago that whether you like the idea of hybrids or not, we're at a point where, honestly, personal opinions don't really matter so much on this front. As I will write here sometime very soon, I don't per- I don't like Formula E. I never have. It's gotten better this year. I know that my opinion on this is far from original. The, I hear it constantly from folks. But all electric racing does nothing for me. Having seen, though, what... A hybrid plus internal combustion engine can do in the LMP1 hybrid class. That was some of the scariest acceleration I've ever witnessed. It is it's incredible. It's like Star Wars light speed or Star Trek. I apologize. Um it's crazy. It's just absolutely crazy. We see this in Formula One with the internal combustion engine plus the hybrid added to it. Ridiculous acceleration. This is what IndyCar needs. Might not be what IndyCar wants, but it's what it needs. It needs some sort of hybrid assist. I don't know what the number is. 75 horsepower boost, 100 horsepower boost for where it's going in the future. It needs to have this from the single standpoint of, if you want to engage new automotive manufacturers to play in the series to convert them from these great meetings and they loved it and fantastic and boy and then you can't get them on the phone again or they just quietly step back more often than not it's looking at this one thing that's lacking and that is a lack of a hybrid option for their marketing team to sign off on if that's not there we're not signing off on this We're not giving you tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars to do this. It's a very simple cause and effect. If you have that, manufacturers not only come to the table, but will want to stay at the table. You don't have it, they'll come and talk, but you're very, very unlikely to get them back. And so I just hope that IndyCar, in its... Immediate decision-making processes. I don't mean a year from now. I mean a week from now. Less than a month from now. Realizes that to get these folks to the table, to spend a lot of money to help grow the sport, truly grow the sport, not the small, tiny increments we've been facing, but actual serious upward trajectory. This hybrid thing, like it or not, that's the thing they're all looking for to jump in all right let's get to the specific questions mike jablo says mike one of the recent week in indycar podcasts i mentioned that sitting on some potential stories that would delight indycar fans asked was porsche as the third engine supplier one of them absolutely (laughs) so yes that was something that uh again we're hoping to mention Uh, was a great month of May thing to uh, be brought to all of us. Go to Jordan Darwin, who asked how long I'd been sitting on the Porsche story. Covered that a little bit, Jordan. Um, I would, if I could, I would mention exactly when, but it would actually, not necessarily publicly, you know, everyone wouldn't know. But some folks who had clued me into this and or confirmed, uh, if I gave too fine of a point on that, It might not be too hard to look at, oh, well, you were at this race at this point in time, and this is probably how that came together. So that's why I'm being a little bit vague there, too. I know it's paranoia, but protect some sources. Eamon Barnett says, what's the main issue for Porsche not wanting to supply engines? Covered that off, Eamon, here uh, on the hybrid side as well. And then the last one uh, from Kevin Federico, similar vein, says, hey, Marshall, would IndyCar be open to having new engines to use alternative fuels similar to LMP1 from the 2005-2009 time? Or do manufacturers only want hybrid or electric platforms? I'd say I'm op- I not only am open to both, I think we're going to hear more manufacturers saying, look, whatever the fuel might be, don't pin us into just one and or what kind of, you know, what kind of future leading uh, fuels could we consider? that might just, again, move this into a more modern marketing standpoint. We're just looking to give manufacturers things that they can put in front of their marketing departments, their R&D departments, and have them say, yes, this not only makes sense, but connects with what we're currently working on, the stuff we want to work on. Give us a reason to be there. But if you're going to paint us into... Same old, same old. Gonna be hard to get money out of folks knowing that the automotive industry is in the midst of a vast, vast shift away from anything we might consider to be same old, same old. All right, now it's time to move into the rest of the questions you have for me, starting with Andrew C. Marshall, I've always wondered about the specialized work that goes into maximizing a car's aero efficiency for Indianapolis. We hear about the hundreds or thousands of hours that go into, quote, aero fit and other such terms. But for the layperson who studied music instead of mechanical engineering, what does that actually mean? Awesome question, Andrew. Number one mindset, I would say, to apply to the Indy 500 is it is an aerodynamic exercise first and foremost definitely in the past many decades motors very important tires very important all kinds of things very important but knowing that so many aspects of the sport have become equalized chevy and honda are making similar power it, everyone's on the same firestones really how one is able to cut through the air as cleanly as possible that's the going to be a big differentiator, and especially when we have everybody using the same 2018 Universal Aero Kit going around that two-and-a-half-mile facility at 200-plus miles an hour. So it's the tiniest little differences that will make one car carve through the air a few tenths of a mile an hour faster. I've heard general, uh, and keep in mind it's been... Jeez, it's been 19 years since I worked on an indie car. Uh, but in this very modern era, still hear that a proper body fit. Someone that is a team that has really gone to extreme lengths to get everything perfect. It can be worth up to one mile per hour. And that is, again, that's a ton. that's a, That's a race winning difference if you have one car that is just absolutely maximized for its aero fit and one that isn't. So, what is it? Well, keeping again drawing from the same chassis, the DW12, with the same bodywork, same aero kit, everything fitted to it. You can think of this like uh, any form of construction when you are trying to join seams and make things flow and be absolutely perfectly aligned. Or allowing those little tolerances where it's super close but maybe not perfect. So, you know, if you watch, <laughs> if you watch one of the four hundred and twenty-seven thousand different car customizing, rebuild, restoration, garage, whatever type shows on a variety of channels, you know, there usually comes a point towards the end of the show when the car has been worked up, built tuned whatever you name it they've done all the work to it it goes into bodywork and paint comes back out and the one thing that they usually work on at the very end is the body fit and getting the door to line up perfectly and have an equal distance between the seam at the top of the door and the body and the bottom and the hood and all those little things so i'm hoping most of you have seen that play out in some form of uh, we got to get this thing ready for the show, and we got 24 hours and people screaming and yelling. But hopefully, you've seen that. This is the same thing, just in racing form. And the big difference is where on those shows, the trunk, they're looking for a narrow quarter inch seam between the trunk closing and the quarter inch gap equal, uniform, all the way around, top, bottom, and sides to the body here, you are looking for zero inch. You are looking for no gap whatsoever. And that's not always possible, but for the most part, that's just the mindset here, Andrew, I would say to take so that when folks are fitting a side pod, fitting an engine cover, they are mounting wings to a nose, rear wing to the pillars and such. Everyone is looking at those interactions everything where joints and seams and connective points happen are there gaps are is there anything skewed a little bit sometimes again if we talk about these rebuild and restoration shows you might have one corner that is off a little bit and is it just a case of being able to realign it or do they have to actually pound on and work on the body itself to bring the body closer to that panel Some of the things that teams are looking to do here as well, just in carbon fiber and to, again, almost down to zero type gap. So can you use some body filler? Can you use a variety of, not many, but a variety of things to fill in some of these seams and gaps? That's what a lot of folks are trying to do. Can't take, say, a side pod that as it came out of the mold, might have been a little short here or trimmed a little bit too much there before, you know, by whomever was finishing it up before it was sent out. You can't necessarily just start adding a bunch of material to things. It's a generally accepted practice, though, that in order to create a smooth and seamless body, that if you need to fill a little bit here or there, whether it's on the bodywork going on to the car or the kind of the, the main bodywork that stays affixed and doesn't come off readily or super easily add a little bit there it's all about removing gaps it's all about things being as smooth as they can be andrew top side and bottom side in the end of day video that sebastian Bourdais and i did during the indy open test he mentioned about tape and how you know beneath the car in particular there's all sorts of little places where tape is used to smooth over some seams you'll see something else that teams do. Hopefully you can observe this during one of the broadcasts uh, during practice where you'll see teams taking little round uh, pieces that were cut, little super thin pieces of vinyl tape usually matches the body color and they'll put that over the little holes say that are drilled for the front wing uh, gurney flaps. Well, maybe they're going to run without the gurneys. Well, rather than leave those little tiny holes that are drilled in the wing that aren't being filled with bolts, they'll cover those over both top and bottom with these little matching color uh, vinyl dots just to smooth that over, reduce that little tiny bit of drag. So that's the arrow fit. There are specialists. There's some specialists in Indy, Andrew, that do this as a service. Teams can hire them, and they just labor away to perfect all of these things. Most teams that I know of, though, do it themselves and take great pride in it. So that's why when we hear about cars for the 500, most teams that have the financial horsepower will have a dedicated speedway car. It does not get used at St. Petersburg or elsewhere. It sits and gets worked on, rubbed on, loved on throughout the off season and leading up to the Indy 500. And that's the perfect car they hope to use throughout the month and definitely going into the race also the knock on effect as you would expect sometimes when those cars get crashed well they can certainly get the car back out but will it be perfect aerodynamically that's often where you will see hey that person did a round number average 225 lap with the perfect body fit car and they came back the next morning and they were running 224 or something like that why well not because the car got slower because they made something different on the mechanical front so much can be the difference between a proper body fit and one that isn't quite there so great question surprising how big of an impact this has on competitiveness at the indy 500 go to ben cohen next ben says mp could you break down what different practice days at indy throughout the month could be used to focus on for teams teams talk about checking items off their list during actual test days. And I assume there are similar items that teams go through throughout the month of may. Absolutely correct, Ben. So looking at how the structure is laid out, we're going to go into the Indy grand prix. We have Friday practice practice qualifying and then Saturday, the 11th, there is the race then take Sunday and Monday off and return for the very first practice session Tuesday morning, 11 till 6, I believe. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday will be dedicated, by and large, almost exclusively to working on race setups. That's just traditional. We will have some teams that start to work on qualifying setups a little bit, something that will be faster, maybe a little bit more ragged, Something that a driver can hold on to for four, five, six laps. Again, qualifying is four laps. But hold on to four, five, six laps at most. But definitely maximize the car, get the most out of the tires, everything, and effectively have a complete vehicle that can do that, but then it's done. You you do not want to keep driving that because it'd be too risky, throw it in the wall. But for the most part, it's kind of surprising, really, to think about just the changes, been in time allowed and time allotment at the 500 just going back to when i was there for working with teams and such where you would have weeks it felt like forever there there was not that there was a lack of a rush lack of immediacy but just a general mindset that got a lot of time to fill here got a lot of ideas we aren't necessarily going to be on track all day every day we might actually decide to take a day off yeah thursday we're just going to uh, cool it a little bit, work on the thing, look over it, think about stuff. We'll go back out Friday now, heh, not an option. So we're going to have cars on track starting Tuesday. Even that's a little bit limited where you have a block of time set for veterans block of time set for rookies and ROP, et cetera. But if you think about Tuesday through Thursday, a lot of working on race setups, going through checklists, trying to find things that not only produce speed, but stability going to be working through a lot of mechanical options, a lot of damping and spring options as well. Do as much as teams can to reduce mechanical scrub, something where the car is gripping through the corners, but without sliding causing friction, which going back to Andrew C's question, that just slows it down. That's just drag. So that's going to be a lot of the work there. It's going to be a lot of aerodynamic work going on. Keep in mind that while we did have the Indy Open test, wasn't that much time on track. Wasn't that much time running in any kind of pack. There was, as Seb said in our video, it was a glorified shakedown because of the weather. The weather did not allow teams to really get into much. Also knowing that there are some new aero allowances this year. Primarily just bolting on some front wing extensions and gurneys, bolting on some new gurneys to the rear wing as well. Some teams were able to work through that to quantify it. Hey, we're going to bolt this on, go run and see what it does to the center of pressure, whether the driver likes it or not, etc. cetera. I think we're going to see in light of the Indy open test being a little bit of a bust. I think we're going to see pretty much non stop on track action by teams tuesday wednesday thursday trying to make up what they weren't able to learn so there's going to be a lot of learning going on very quickly not just traditional cool we're going to start working on race setups it's going to be we still got to figure out some stuff before we can then decide what is a priority what we think is going to be strong directions to try out for race setups also with firestone's tire changes in particular the front tire which tony canon will speak about here shortly some new stuff to learn on that as well it's fairly cool during the test that we had so we'll see what the weather is like when we come back for the start of practice expect it to be a little bit warmer so that's another variable teams are going to have to work through friday we get extra boost ben they call it fast friday for a reason so qualifying boost is delivered for teams to be able to use and to really start working on their qualifying setups in earnest it's always best to have the car in complete configuration it would be run in qualifying so it'd be great if that qualifying boost was available the whole week doesn't mean though that teams cannot start working on that a little bit early if they wanted to and some will it's not a bad thing it's not a bad idea (coughs) knowing the Ongoing pressure to really try and get into the show on Saturday. And I know that IndyCar has a structure set up for Sunday where those who did not make it into the field and get effectively locked in to one of the first 30 starting positions, there will be a session Sunday morning to determine who will fill out the final row and who will go home. All that said, there's pressure there. There's certainly heightened pressure. So, What will be interesting to follow on this, how the planning works out, is there will be running available, a little bit of running available during qualifying weekend when things are quiet, when there's no actual qualifying attempts taking place. There'll be a little bit of practice time there, but for the most part, Sunday is going to be an interesting change in that those who qualify 10th through 30th they're done. They're done for the weekend. They're not allowed, uh, unlike years past, to come back out and use Sunday as a bit of a, a test day if they could fill in wherever there were gaps and folks not qualifying and whatnot. So real quality get ready for the Indy 500 type running It's not going to be part of qualifying weekend in any of the ways it had been used to some degree in years past. We then come back on Monday and there is the final option to run. It's not a super long session as I recall, Ben. So it's kind of one more shot to get in free range, non race mode, at least on pit lane type running. So that's where we can expect to see yet again, the big packs, big, big packs running around folks drafting nonstop. Another great almost final chance to get into the True race mode running, make final major race setup changes. Come back on Friday for Carb Day. Carb Day is full race mode, everybody in their fire suits. It's just everybody treating it like a race in terms of preparation, everybody geared up on pit lane. This is can be interesting. You will also get the pack running there, too. It's just little bit more of a time compression because they're not on track super long. And then everybody has a little bit of fun on Saturday. We go race on Sunday. So all together, got three days of call it uninterrupted testing slash learning slash practice, mostly focused towards the race Tuesday through Thursday. Friday is definite qualifying mode and I think for some of the smaller teams, newer teams, those who are likely to be on the bubble, if not almost downright, we can tell now who's going to be struggling to get in. I would say if I'm them, that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, even though you do not have race boost, don't even bother with race mode. Absolutely work on extracting maximum speed in short runs. So that when you do get that boost on Friday, maybe you're ahead of your curve, not the curve of the rest of the teams, but at least ahead of your curve to give yourself a better shot to get into the show. It'd be silly for some of the smaller teams, those who are already on the bubble to waste Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday on race setups, then decide on Friday to go for qualifying and not make the show and realize that, hey, We had four days to get ready for this. And why did we squander three or two or one on anything other than getting in? We know the majority of the teams are going to get in. You're going to run down the list and name them, name those drivers. Just we'll see. We'll see how, how smart some of those newish, smaller, possibly disadvantaged teams happen to be. Ego is a great thing. Ah, we're going to get in like hell. We're not going to be in. Okay. Got it. Uh, (laughs) We'll see. Let's talk Sunday afternoon. Uh, Let's go to Stephen Kilsdonk. Hey, Stephen. Follow up here. Similar topic. What was the feedback after the oval test regarding the way cars were able to maneuver around each other and the the outlook for the ability to overtake during the 500? Sounds like cautious optimism based on hearing what Jerry Hildebrand said on our day at Indy recording Definite a a TBD, to be determined, Stephen. Some drivers, Penske did a little bit, were able to run in a pack slightly, but again, did not have that much clear and free time to do that. Most teams just wanted to get into learning as much as they can. Positive things heard about the front tires. The front tire changed by Firestone. Didn't hear anything negative about the new aero allowances, but I would say we're really going to have to hold off on getting more definitive answers until we get into the first week of practice and see what folks have to say after running in packs, maybe in a little bit warmer weather, but yeah, just not a lot of pack running to get a feel for the changes, both to tires and arrow and whether that will make passing a little bit more friendly. Chris Hoffman says, Marshall, do Honda or Chevy do anything to increase the longevity of motors that are used for the 500 milers? Can't think of anything mechanically that's done chris i would say from a engine management ecu tuning standpoint there's always the option to reduce revs slightly to in theory reduce the risk of blow-ups but not much i mean it's just a case of pushing their comfort level as far as possible to make as much power as they believe is safe to therefore win the race Obviously, they could dial back the revs considerably. They could turn down boost if they wanted. I'm sure that there are things they could do to definitely guarantee every motor would finish the race. Those motors would also finish well behind the other brand in the race. So it's just more of a experience thing that gets used as they figure out how hard to push what they have. Rafael Placha says hi I'm from Brazil this one is not for TK I saw some images of McLaren steering wheel back when the car was in the UK and it looked a lot more like a Formula One steering wheel did not see any pictures from the test are they allowed to do whatever they want with the shape and form of the steering wheel the answer to that Rafael is yes other than using the mandated electronics supplied by Cosworth teams can do as they please so There is a somewhat standard carbon fiber steering wheel that most teams use. Scott Dixon happens to use one made by Max Pappas Industries and seems to like that quite a bit. McLaren could indeed make their own steering wheel as long as it had all of the electronics and buttons and whatnot that everyone else has. It's wide open. And we'll admit, Raphael, someone asked about this before the test. And because I'm not always super smart in the brain when it comes to memory, I forgot to take a look. And I actually was in or around their pits for almost an hour. So I feel kind of dumb, but I'll take a look as soon as I can and uh, hopefully take a steering wheel photo and answer that question. Darren Dubois says, Marshall, curious in your thoughts about Barber Motorsports Park with the date change different lineup etc did it hurt the overall event was it no different i assume it will move back to its original date after long beach the start time of the race makes it difficult to stay on sunday as we usually do friday and saturday only at least from what i heard uh, having not been there had some family things to attend to at home the overall attendance i believe darren was pretty darn strong i just heard from a number of folks robin miller is one of them i believe lee Diffy was another just saying boy the crowd looked really good and so i don't know if the date change had anything to do with that or if there's just more indycar fans and they'll show up whether it is in that late april position it was previously or uh being here moved to early april as it was this year Not sure if the date had anything to do with it, but I definitely think uh, we will hear where that falls out. I've also heard some other interesting calendar things that need to chase down as well, not barber related, but possibly some other shifting of things, not this year, but maybe next or the year after. So, but yeah, it'll be an interesting one. If if I get a chance, I'll try and get some feedback from someone about barber and whether sticking with the early April or moving back to late April would be the thing to do. I will admit it is kind of nice having a little bit of a break before the Indy GP and Indy 500. So I think from a mechanics on pit lane, engineers, truck drivers, you name it, even the drivers themselves, I think the timing here of having a fairly solid break between Long Beach and the start of the Grand Prix, even with some tests thrown in, I think it will be, uh, we'll, we'll look back at this and say, nice. It didn't feel like no one got a chance to breathe from St. Petersburg through Texas. Let's go to Ryan Terpstra again says in recent podcast discussions taking place about shared IMSA and IndyCar weekends, I believe in discussions for IndyCar to partner with Laguna Seca, IndyCar stipulated they run the weekend after IMSA. Why that doesn't make good business sense for either series while it is possible. Some could possibly make it a week long vacation bookended by both races it seems more likely someone makes a weekend event and picks one or the other. I did not hear anything from IndyCar when I asked them about intentionally wanting to go right behind IMSA this September. And, but that does happen to be what worked out. So I believe going forward, once we're done with this inaugural return, uh, <laughs> I believe when we come back for 2020, Ryan, there will be a gap for sure instead of back-to-back between IMSA and IndyCar. As someone who covers both series, we'll just mention very quickly, and someone who loves both, truly loves both series, I am concerned for IMSA at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, having covered every event they have had there since IMSA returned in 2014, and before that, when Grand Am was showing up, um, it often looks like they forgot to open the gates and let people in. Uh, There's just something that has not been working in terms of general greater Bay Area people responding to IMSA's sports car series turning up and competing at Monterey. I go there to cover three, four, five events per year. The, the reason I'm, I have not been to Pocono in four or five years is because the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion, what used to be called the Monterey Historics, has been moved to that weekend for a little while now. And knowing that that is a very important event for a Racer, and knowing that our man Robin Miller will be in Pocono. Uh, doubling up is not needed going to monterey for that event huge (laughs) lots and lots and lots of people Uh, we had porsche's ren sport reunion last year giant huge turnout amazing Uh, i've headed there for world challenge the intercontinental eight hour sro sports car endurance event and if there are few people that turn up for imsa There are drastically less that turn up for world challenge or the intercontinental race. I don't know what it is, Ryan, but there's something about modern era of sports car racing that is not connecting with my fellow people here. I can tell you though, I think that IndyCar coming back will not talking crazy crowds, not talking about the grandstands being packed on the front straight as they were back in the day, but I think IndyCar is something that is going to have a comparatively strong response. And if that is the case, that's the thing that I fear for IMSA. Uh, Since IMSA has really been the biggest major modern road racing property to show up. Having the even bigger one in IndyCar come and play, I think that could be the thing that eventually knocks IMSA off the calendar. Because if nobody's turning up for that and our fans who like racing and IMSA has been the biggest thing to go and see, at least again, modern stars and cars, if those folks are now saying, wait a minute, I get to go see even faster cars with bigger stars and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. That's my concern here. So less about IndyCar and how this might affect them more, the opposite. So we'll see what happens. As I mentioned either in one of the recent podcasts or another, I would not be surprised to learn here in the very near future that IMSA's time in Monterey might come to an end and maybe they would look to go back to Portland, which could be a place that might welcome them back with uh, more people and more interest. Let's go to Daniel Kincaid. who says, MP, any chance you could run over the driver engineering pairings for the one-offs coming up at Indy Uh, as well, a list of who does and doesn't have a spare car. I'm sure Penske has a spare for each driver. But as far as a team like maybe RLL, do they only have one spare for all three of them? Not sure that Penske has one per driver, but that would be an interesting thing to ask. Uh, Let me rephrase that ready and sitting at the track, uh, in one of the transporters definitely need to update that engineering list and we'll get that done here soon. So we'll hopefully post that on racer.com. Daniel, not sure. I'm going to have the time to run around and check who has what spare and is it ready or not? And I wish I did. And I actually get a lot of requests every week, which is kind of cool. This, it's not a complaint. It's a, I wish I had time. You know, I get folks telling me, Hey, you should do a story on this. Or could you call that guy and ask about this? Or, and it's, it's an honor for me, for some of you to think of me as the guy to answer all questions at all times. And I wish I had the time to do all of that. But, uh, having two amazing clients in racer and road and track who buy, 99% 99% of my time and the 1% I get to dedicate to my podcast then also be a husband and try and look after the household and et cetera. Et cetera. it makes some of these extracurricular requests that I would love to do uh just unfortunately probably not uh, something I'll have time to do but at least on the engineering pairing side I think I might already have that list almost complete Daniel so look for that coming out here shortly Let's get to the last couple here. I'm going to go to our man, Bodan Klemenski, who says, I mentioned this earlier, but last year, the USF 2000 and Indy Pro 2000 race streams were hosted on IndyCar's YouTube channel. And this year, they're only on a channel with less than 2,000 subscribers. Even though they're different companies, can they fix this unforced error? I was not aware of this, Bodan, until you mentioned it. I'm absolutely going to bring this up with our friends at IndyCar because with the not positive move of Indy Lights being taken off of NBCSN actual proper cable channel and being moved to NBC Gold, their streaming only service. I'm not saying that Indy Lights was a huge ratings generator by any stretch of the imagination while being on proper television. I can certainly tell you that being moved to only live streaming, yeah, uh, it's not helping. And so, learning now that the first two steps on the Cooper Tires sponsored Road to Indy are now on a much smaller channel with a smaller likelihood of folks seeing, knowing, caring does not help. So, we'll certainly be raising this and seeing if that can get fixed. Let's go to James Bethay hello James thanks for sending this in says what are the chances of IndyCar's date in the future at Pocono being affected by the track taking on a NASCAR doubleheader next year I think I mentioned on social media it was just a real short throwaway thing just what I would heard and or my thoughts about not being positive that Pocono is going to be a part of IndyCar's calendar after 2019 I think this could certainly be you know it it doesn't help it doesn't (laughs) help James for sure. Um, yeah, I'm one of many who loves Pocono and really wants to see it succeed and be just a a guaranteed annual staple on the IndyCar calendar. Ovals are incredibly important to IndyCar's past, present, future. Also a dwindling thing numerically on its current calendar. I don't like the idea of Pocono going away. We lost Phoenix already and While the numbers in terms of fans seems to be increasing each year at Pocono, I still don't know if it's anything close to a break-even for the track for IndyCar. I don't know the promotional aspects of it. In some instances, it's a track pace for IndyCar to show up and perform. It's upon the track to recoup those monies and hopefully more to make a profit. In some cases, IndyCar has been a co-promoter, if you want to put it that way, They have invested and or taken on half of the financial responsibility or something along those lines. So I don't know how this shakes out at Pocono with whatever current agreement. I just know that more people sitting in the stands watching is needed and more and a lot more. Something where you look at it and go irrefutable evidence. This is working. There is a a crowd that cares. Money is coming in. Got to keep doing it would just overstate the obvious here. If you love Pocono, if you can, if you have the money, book that trip, turn up, turn up for the whole thing, stay locally, invest in the economy, but be there, put butts in seats to definitely let IndyCar know or give IndyCar and the track as strong a visual as possible that people care and people want Pocono to remain on the calendar. All right, let's go to our last question from Lori Carter. And thanks for sending this in, Lori. Marshall, do you know your plans yet for a live podcast show in Indy? Well, I'm working on it. And so here we are Wednesday, May 1st. I have some inquiries that have gone out. We're hoping to do something uh, the Friday and or Saturday during the Indy GP. And then most likely something carb day or similar, maybe Saturday during the 500 race weekend our pals at Cooper tires will be there with the Cooper tires stage. One that we've used a couple of times to put on shows as a full sound system and everything that's going to be in the vendor midway. That is both next to the paddock where all the teams park their transporters also directly behind the media center and kind of generally behind the pagoda where you have all the displays from the variety of folks who are doing good things. So, That's where the Cooper tire stage will be. We're working on doing at least two shows and working on the lineups for both. And there might be some more, there might be at least one or two more we will try and do. There's some other things I'm trying to make happen. Lori times running out a little bit on those and I'm not getting the response from uh, one or two people that uh, I need to hear back from. So trying to do some just fun stuff, the usual kind of fun, silly stuff As I mentioned earlier, we do have some, uh, third anniversary MP podcast gifts. Uh, those will be given out. The ones done by Cooper tires will be handed out exclusively from the Cooper tire stage during those podcasts. So it's kind of a, if you want freebies, come on out, be there, participate, talk smack, throw stuff at me, ask silly questions of our guests, the normal stuff, the normal mayhem, come on out and uh, we'll do our best to send you home with something as a thank you for being a listener and participant also we will have some goodies from our pals at the justice brothers and i think i just fired off a batch a request for 300 new weekend indycar stickers that should be ready for that as well so anyways we're just trying to buy your loyalty Well be really honest laurie we realized we don't have any friends we need to give things to people to get them to come out all kidding aside just trying to say thanks Uh, this is, it, it just every week becomes more and more of a community driven show. Obviously your questions drive the show with uh, the ones you send in for me and my guests every week, but you know, we just do our best to answer your questions, bring you inside the sport, have a little bit of fun, whatever, and being able to extend that at races with some of the live events, not able to do them at every round, but we are trying to do them at as many as possible. I'm doing one this weekend, two days from now at Mid-Ohio. One requested by the track reached out and said, Hey, can we do one with Acura? I said, Great, let's do it. So we're doing it. We're going to have Montoya, Castro Neves, Mike Shank, Catherine Legg, Jackie Heinricher. Going to be putting that on Friday at 5 30 in Victory Lane. If you happen to be there for the IMSA event, the uh, Acura Sports Car Challenge. So come on out there. Acura, just because they're awesome. Said, hey, we're going to cook up some hot dogs. So for the first hundred people there, you'll have free hot dogs courtesy of Acura. They also have some water too. And if you're going to be at the track camping, bring your folding chair, bring an adult beverage as well, and come have, have some fun hurl obscenities at our guests at me, you know, I'll be making fun of Montoya and he'll be cursing at me. So kind of the normal routine, but anyways, Lori hope to have some news here shortly on the who, what, where, and when definitely we'll be doing at least one, if not two, and then we do have the indie memorabilia show starting Saturday morning at eight on the 25th, right behind the pagoda with our friends at Toronto doing their pop-up shop. I'm going to be there both as a fool spending lots of money on things because it's my Christmas and also at the little pop-up booth they're going to have inside there. I believe our man, Robin Miller might be there as well. And so we'll be there. I don't know what we're going to be doing, but we'll be there with our pals, Derek Koska and Roger Warwick, in the TorontoMotorsports.com pop up shop, signing things, uh, posing for photos, filling out loan applications, washing cars. I don't know. We're just going to do whatever we're asked to do. So I hope to see you there as well. All right. Let's get going with our man, Tony Kanon here on the Marshall Pro Podcast, our week in IndyCar series brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. Tony Kanon, it is always an awesome day when we have you on the week in IndyCar. How are you doing, my friend?
1: Good, man. Nice to be back on your podcast.
0: Well, knowing that you do one as well with our boy Joseph Newgarden here, I believe with a uh, big machine vodka as well. You know, we're just yeah. It's it's a steady thing of trying to talk with IndyCar fans. <laughs> so here today, May first, a day that it seems surreal. That it's been 25 years since the great Ayrton Senna was lost,
1: and it's a kind of a mixed feeling, right? Because May is such a great month for us, right? It's the Indy 500 month, and and you get excited for May, and then obviously you start the first day with, uh, you know, a uh, you know a tragedy like this that you know obviously uh, affect uh, a lot of people's lives and careers, and myself too. So yeah we mean too long.
0: I know. Well, you told great story, um, I think, last year, especially on the, the live podcast that we did at Road mm-hmm. America about Ayrton helping you when you were in the, the Formula Opel Lotus series and such and the, and the great stuff he told to the team owner there. Um, so we got a couple questions here on Ayrton, and then we'll move on to the, the regular IndyCar questions. First sure. one comes in from Mike Hogg, who says, Tony – what was the number one piece of advice or help that Senna gave you?
1: Um I I don't think I had like the talks that I had with him, it was it was never like one single advice. And I think um not directly like speaking to him about stuff. It was more of what he did in racing that actually was the advice for me, like the inspiration, you know. Mm. But I mean, for me it was like to never give up because he was always, you know, he was so good at what he did and and and, and he, he brought such a joy to my country at the time and not just to the world but uh, it, it, I think it's to never give up really that was probably the best advice you know
0: Henri Fawn asks uh, knowing that you were kind enough to share that Formula Opel Lotus story last year if there are any other interesting personal stories you might be able to share looking back on this 25-year anniversary? Uh,
1: yeah, the go-kart race that we did on his farm. Um, <laughs> that sounds like fun. That, that I won, and he finished second. So uh, we uh, we had a bunch of people there, Mauricio Gujomine, Roberto Moreno, and a bunch of the celebrities, race car drivers, and he had this go-kart track in his farm, and uh, we we just did a like a fun race. Um, it was obviously kind of like official, we had podiums and everything, but we qualified, I qualified on the pole, he uh, he qualified second, and then the time we are going to start the race, he actually inverted the grid, so him and I started that last, and we came through the field. Oh, wow. It was like 20, 23 go-karts, and, uh, and I won the race, so uh, that was uh, 1990, I would say, so that's how actually I first met Ayrton, and then later on in 93, he helped me uh, in Europe. But then, uh, you know, I have a picture obviously on the podium. I'm first and Ayrton's second, which is, uh, I don't think a lot of people have that picture.
0: <laughs> you showed that photo to me, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, and I still laugh when I think about it, because it's again, like you said, I have photos of things I've done that I'm proud of. They're never, ever going to match this one of little Tony no, Kanaan. And,
1: but you know, Marshall, like, I don't I don't really like to like keep capitalizing on that, because it was such a a special moment for me that is not and then you know in the podium he goes dude you know you're better than me i'm like oh, come on you know so to hear that from your hero and i was what 16 at the time it's, yeah. uh, it's something that it's like it's crazy you know so uh that is probably one of the the best memories i i can share with the fans
0: now, Henri also asked if i had any stories to share about senna and I just put up a podcast with my friend. You might remember Terry Griffin, the photographer who Mm -hmm. uh, covered Mm -hmm. Formula One and shot Senna forever. So I put up, that's about 90 minutes. Hopefully those who are listening will listen to Terry's great stories. But I never got to meet Senna, but he was my, uh, where he was your hero. You know, there was a, a little kid in California who just looked at him the same way. So never met him, never got to see him race. But the one thing I did do, Henri, was the moment I was able to get cable... Uh, I actually started working a second job in high school just to have enough money to pay for cable starting in the mid 80s or so. And it was specifically to be able to get ESPN and Formula One. And so once we were able to get that, and I was actually paying for cable for the whole household because my parents were like, why the hell would we want that? Um, I'd get up at whatever crazy hour to watch Formula One races live specifically to watch Senna. So that was just my kind of rabid fandom back then. And the one thing I have, and I still need to do a bit of a modern VHS tape to digital conversion, is I have the entire, uh, every ESPN broadcast of the 1988 Formula One season, Senna's first championship. Wow, And cool. uh, I need to get all that onto to digital so I can pass that along to you and some others, TK, who I'm sure would just enjoy having Every oh, complete it. race from that season. So, thanks for sending that question in, Henri. All right, let's move to a couple of questions that are similar on the theme of folks wanting to see you and your teammate Mateus Laced really start to give the bigger teams more headaches. One's <laughs> from uh, Mateus Longo, another one's from Ryan Terpstra, and I'll just I'll use Ryan's between the two. Uh, your, this quote, Tony, it's one of your all time best of, "I'm not Scott Dixon." but I'm not two seconds slower than Scott. Um, Ryan says that was a great quote. He asks, what are the prospects for that gap to shrink before the end of the season?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a tough question, Marshall. I wish I would have the answer because we could be putting it in place. I think, uh, you know, uh, over the years, the series have gotten, um, a lot more competitive and, um, I'm kind of actually kind of surprised how, uh, how much we struggle in the beginning of this year because last year at this point actually we were at the place we wanted it to be you know in the top 10 top 8 every race so uh, looks like we made some changes over the winter as far as uh, you know um setup wise and choosing dampers and stuff that they're not they really we only the only way to find out was when we we went to the track because we don't have a lot of testing and so it put us behind. Um, so what we, we we really need to do is, uh, I think we went back to basics since uh, we finished Long Beach. Long Beach was a shame because we had a problem. I mean, I crashed and qualified, but then in the race I got hit in the first lap. So we went back to last year's setup and everything else. But I mean, they, they I, my car got damaged, so I couldn't really tell if you know it was better or worse. Sure. But, uh, you know, the way we're, we're just keep digging, man. You know, I know it's tough. That is a lot of, I mean, we, the toughest part for me is uh, to accept that we, you know, we're making changes. But it's uh, it's going to be a slow process for us to to be able to beat the big teams. You know, as you know, Scott Harner joined the team at the end of February. So there are a lot of good things happening, but it's just that doesn't, they don't show as a result, yet it's not so, a
0: today uh, thing.
1: No, no, and then there is a lot more things involved. You know, when you try to explain to a fan, you know what what can we do to change it? You know, and then there is always the smart people that say, ah, oh, you know, he's he's done, he's old, blah blah <laughs> blah. But you know, it's it's it, it's tough. So we're we're building the team, and, and and you know, that's not an excuse. That's not a. Uh, trying to make it a, a poor explanation. It's just really the, the facts and the reality. And what people don't understand also, it's like, you know, you run top 10 last year. Then you go and you have Schmidt adds a car for, you know, Harvey, which is another car. Andretti adds another car. And then you go, so all of a sudden you're not 10th anymore because those guys are in the top 10 all the time. Then Reho gets, you know, step up their games as a team. So all of a sudden you're like 15th, 16th. You know, so and that's what people. You know, if teams that have a lot more resources than we do. I mean, we we're working on it. I mean, uh, AJ and Larry are investing a lot more money into the team and and into the personnel. We're trying to hire more people. We're trying to hire better people. I mean, we don't even have enough people right now. It's not that we don't have good people working for us. You know, it's. I mean, I'm used to walking into an engineering room that we had about nine, ten engineers at you Now we have two. You know, and, 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 you know, 10 heads think a lot more than two. And, and, and the two ideas. you have
0: are very good, but to your point, and this is oh. one of the things I try and, and share with fans as well. I often think of the difference between a, a team Penske, say and, a, and AJ, an AJ Floyd racing where they're at today, like say building a house. If you look at the Penske side, they have. 20 master builders. They have every specialist needed to do every single thing, wiring and baseboards and this and that. Everyone is working at a a high rate of speed with complete expertise in all the small individual areas that combine to make a house. You move over to a Foyt team does not have as many of those people. The house will get built, but that Penske one's going to be standing much sooner. The Floyd one, is going to go up months later, maybe a year later. So in that race to get it done first there, it's not a lack of talent. It's not a lack of effort. Everyone's working really hard. Just if you don't have as many of those people in the specific areas needed to get that project done first, that's why you have one team that's usually running up front and the other one that's behind trying to catch up.
1: Correct. So, I mean, you know, that that's, that's, I mean, the best uh, explanation I can give to the fans. I do believe, uh, you know, we do have a strong car for the 500. Um, that is something that we prepared ourselves quite a bit. So uh, hopefully, you know, as everybody knows, I mean, if you win this race, it doesn't matter what you do the rest of the year. So hopefully we're, we're trying to, uh, you know, we're talking to ABC um, as far as sponsorship to try to help us out a little more and a couple of other sponsors as far as uh, as, as budget to try to be able to invest more in the team. And uh, I have myself and Larry, I mean, a personal interest in helping the team. I even told Larry, I said, look, if uh, whatever we need, if I even need to take a pay cut next year because we need to hire these people, I don't mind. I mean, I'm all in. I'm in uh, I mean, there is no secret that I said once I signed with him, that's where I'm going to stay until – until I decided that I'm not driving, or AJ and I decided this is it. So uh, we're we're making a lot of changes. But it's uh, is, are we gonna see the you know big changes this year? I can't answer that. I think we're gonna get better. But I think we're you know we're looking ahead into a three year plan and through a four or five year plan as a team and 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 hopefully that's how we're gonna be able to uh, to bring the team to the next level.
0: And I'll say a l- couple additional things here, just because. Tony is modest, uh, you driving and finishing, I don't know, 15th at long, I'm just making up numbers, 15th here or 13th there. You did not drive any less with any, uh, less intensity or effort than the days where you've won races. Uh, often no. when you are in the midfield, talk to most drivers and they'll get out and tell you, That's harder than any of the wins or podiums that I've had. So it's certainly not a case of a lack of effort on, on your part. The other thing that you mentioned in Scott Harner, knowing the reputation that he has a real, he he is a nation builder. He's an absolute nation builder as a person. And I've mentioned this before in the podcast, but his influence won't be felt right now. But as we start to get towards the end of the season, mechanics, engineers, damper people, you name it are thinking, huh? Maybe it's time for a change. Scott's the kind of guy now that he's at Foyt where for folks who might not have considered the team before, they're going to want to go talk to Scott and work for him because that's the kind of guy that he is.
1: No, and for sure. And then, you know, the comment that, you know, the question was, uh, I'm not Scott Dixon, but I'm not two seconds slower than him. It was one of the comments that I made to, to show the guys that like, look guys, we're, you know, I had a guy as a teammate and I know, he's better than me and then that's and he's actually probably better than everybody that I've known but it's not two seconds so basically that we have a bigger my, my, my comment was about we have a bigger problem than 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 just me probably not if if, you, if we ever think I'm not in my game but being not in my game two seconds slower, that's almost impossible I, mean, I have to be missing an arm or a leg to be to be that slow
0: I'm glad you didn't say no all right let's move on to uh, <laughs> some other great questions we have. Our pal Jordan Darwin, thanks, Jordan, for sending in something every week, says, Tony, what's your favorite helmet in your impressive collection of driver lids?
1: Ah, oh, man, I have a Santa helmet, so that's that's easy. Oh. Easy and quick question to answer. Jeez, <laughs> I,
0: I hate you even more, Tony Cano. A <laughs> um, couple of interesting questions here. I hadn't really thought about this before. Uh, John Hankins and Dennis Zosek are similar things. Dennis, first of all, said, one of the coolest things my late father and I ever experienced was your Indy win in 2013. We were both left in tears. I'd love to see you win another. He asks, when you decide full-time racing and IndyCar is over, would you like to do like Elio and still keep returning to run the Indy 500? And uh, John Hankins asked something similar, but wants to know if you want to keep going at Indy as long as AJ did. (laughs)
1: so the first question yes the answer would be yes um with with the right program for sure i would love to do one-offs i would say you know to come back and and do a couple but that's uh let's see how long more i'm gonna drive
0: you're not even thinking about that now i know that for sure
1: you know so i would say by the time i don't know by the time i finish driving i'll be (laughs) i'll be so old that i wouldn't be doing that i'll be just Done, done. But um, you know, it's hard to answer that question right now. I would say yes, I would love to, but uh, I'll I'll decide that when I get there. And and the second the question is, I don't think I'm driving until I'm 58. But um, <laughs> you know, right now I'm 44. Uh, I think I still have a few years left. Uh, like I said to AJ, I mean, uh, it, it's uh, it was funny because we talked about this, and he's like. You can drive here for as long as you want i said well and and i'm going to drive for you for as long as you want me to drive for you so it's uh, it's not even a, we don't you know it's it it's 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 not about contracts or people like, well do you we have a contract with, i mean with a j if he says something, yes you've got to put it in paper just because you have got to make it official but um, you know we uh, we have a great relationship marshall i I, I love the place that I'm at. It's too bad that we're struggling because it could be a lot better, but the, they're genuine people. I mean, I got really close to Larry. I mean, Larry is a wonderful person and, and he wants to do well. So, you know, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the the question is always like, how long are you going to be doing this and what are you going to do afterwards and, and this and that? I mean, I haven't thought about it, but I would say I can see myself in the future. Um, still, if I'm not racing full time and still, being involved with with the fort family and 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 uh, you know trying to help uh the team when are we going
0: to hear about the uh, the canon family wines knowing that oh a big it just came the, out the today it
1: just came out today so i don't know did you know that or you i just, didn't uh, i
0: was just pulling it out of my butt no, no, little no little... it
1: came out today what it out today it was <laughs> they just sent a. they sent a press release uh uh, 10 minutes ago, so you probably haven't seen it yeah. because we're doing a podcast.
0: Alright, well, when I get to Indy, you know, well, Miller doesn't drink, but, uh, you know, we, we got to crack open a uh, uncork I a bottle. Actually,
1: just in case you didn't get it, I just forwarded it to you. All so right. you have it. see, little it. Which I know. is a really cool bottle. I mean, I didn't know this, but Larry, uh, this is the first ever wine uh, from Foyt that has the Foyt name on it. And somebody else's name on it. Wow! So uh, that's kind of a. It made me feel like you know, a big head here. Like, yeah, wow, okay, I'm, 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 important.
0: Well, you know? I get that feeling whenever I am uh, in one of the higher end grocery stores and I see uh, something from Pruitt Vineyards. I just pretend it's me and not Scott, but you know, they, they, I still can't really get a good discount off of that at the, uh, the checkout counter. Um, let's go to our pal, Howard Bennett, who says, and Tony, you've answered this before, but that's always interesting. He says of all the different champ car, IRL and IndyCar chassis and uh, engine combinations and race liveries you've had over the years. Are there any specific favorites or memorable ones? And I know you've answered the car, uh one but maybe the livery side of all the, the TK liveries you've had throughout the years, are there any that really jump out as personal favorites?
1: Um I love my LCI, my nineteen ninety eight Tasman Motorsports sports livery. That was you know, that was definitely one of my favorites. And then I actually my McDonald's car it's it was pretty cool too. So I think my first two years in Champ Car, it was like I really, really, really like that. Um as far as cars, I mean nothing's gonna be i mean i know i'm old i'm an old timer but uh, nothing's gonna beat the thousand horsepower to the rainer or lola chassis at the time i mean this is just uh you know i know uh you know motorsports have changed a lot i mean the has done great things for us and i love them i have a relationship with the since uh 1993 well, formula and,
0: three right
1: uh, yeah yeah and like in italy so uh Hopefully, it's not about the car. I mean, they're making good cars. I I wish we could actually go back to the the thousand horsepower era. Well, that's
0: why we need to have you around until the next engine formula, where we're at least supposed to get close to that. So yeah,
1: that looks like it's gonna be like two thousand twenty one or something. So I'll try. I'll try. (laughs) At least, see, Marshall. This is a good thing about it. I actually was talking to Jay Fry about that. I said, "Hey, listen. I don't know when that's gonna happen, but." I could be your test driver. See you know what I mean? I, mean, yeah.
0: I know a thousand horsepower work with me, folks. You know, one thing we need to do, I think I still have some hidden away somewhere, but back starting in, I think, 95, 96, when the LCI communications phone card oh. came around and was a big thing in sponsorship, they used to give those things away at the racetrack all the time. I don't know if you still have any of those the calling cards. Calling cards. Yes, I don't know if oh, you yeah. oh, if yeah. you still have any. I'll see if I can yeah. find some. You and no, I need I to sit down. All right. Well, we need to bring one to the track, and I'll I'll just turn on the camera, and we need to actually see if we can use it and call somebody, tried, and if and it still works.
1: Watch, it's funny. I tried it with darkness. It does You remember we had to scratch in the back exactly. You the pin, and then you had. Oh man, it was.
0: This is like the dark back ages. Back when the earth, when everything was in black and white. Yes, exactly. Uh, old time. Uh, Let's go to this, an interesting technical one you can help on TK comes from Corey Matthews talking about tires for Indy says, I know they're just for the 500, but with Firestone saying the long beach tires, for example, could have changed the racing that day uh, since there wasn't as much degradation as folks hoped there would have been. How do you balance that? Or how do they balance that for Indy 500 specific tires? So I know you're not a a Firestone employee, but just with what you use, say at the test here last week and whatnot how do you interact with firestone and telling them, Hey, this would well, be a really good tire for the, for the 500, but we don't want things that are falling off after five laps.
1: Yeah. I did the tire test for them actually back in October and, Dex uh, Dixon and power as well. We, you know, we, one thing, the only thing we can reference is from the year before. Right. So in last year it was a really hot day. And I think, with the aero package and the tires, we saw a, uh, a little bit of a worst, quote-unquote, race in the years, the previous years, because of the tire deck. So we asked, and as a driver's preferences, uh, we had the front tires were given up because we didn't have enough downforce, and uh, we couldn't follow that close. So obviously, they're not changing the rules as far as aero, so we asked Firestone to add a little bit more front grip to the front tires. So it looks like the 2019 tire has a little bit more grip. So we'll be able to go back to a couple of years ago when we had, I don't know how many passes in the race since 2013, we had so many. So, um, that's actually what's going to happen for this year.
0: Let's go to Brett Ross asks first, have you ever been to AJ's farm in Texas and helped out there? And he also yeah. asks, uh, he, he recalls you doing a Reese's, uh, candy commercial with kevin harvick in the 2000s he says it seemed like you guys got along and wonders did a friendship come out of it and do you guys still keep in contact
1: uh so i have not been to the farm yet um i've been to the shop and stuff but every time we're in and out so uh, aj keeps you know telling me i have to go so this year i'll definitely make a trip uh with harvick every once in a while we talk but uh uh we it was a fun um commercial that we did and uh you know obviously we respect each other as drivers but as far as friendship, friendship no, not really. I mean we we talk through social media and stuff, we know each other, but no, no we're not friends we don't hang out.
0: Let's go to Scott Wharton who says, Tony, since you're considered IndyCars Iron Man, what would you consider to be your favorite exercise and why? Scott says mine is push ups because it can be done pretty much anywhere, anytime, and it costs nothing.
1: My favorite exercise is actually cycling. I love to hop on my bike and just uh, clear my mind. So uh, obviously nowadays with technology, you have uh, stationary bikes everywhere. And I have one in my bus, actually. But if I can ride outside, this is what's actually exactly what I'm doing right after the podcast. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, biking, riding my bike for sure.
0: Arvin Mahadevan asks a question that's cropped up recently. I don't really know where it came from, but it's been the big topic. Hi, Tony, big fan. Wanted to hear your thoughts on the reserved Indy 500 controversy, the reserved spots controversy. Uh, I knew uh, that was coming. Yeah. Uh, also, what aspect of qualifying for the 500 do you find the most difficult?
1: Um. Okay. To answer your first question, I, 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 I don't like the idea. I don't like the idea to guarantee spots. I mean, I've always heard, heard that you have to earn your spot. You have to the fastest thirty-three go race. So I mean, trust me. And I'm in a in a spot nowadays that I could be all in all favor for it. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's let guarantee this thing, you know. But I gotta think about not being selfish to Tony Canan, but being actually. You know, selfish to the tradition and, and, and actually reasonable with the tradition and the fans. I, I don't agree with it. I mean, I just think uh, you have to qualify, man. Life life is tough. And if you don't, you don't. I mean, ask Hinchcliffe how he felt last year. And I don't want to speak because it can happen to me. It can happen to anybody this year. We have so far, what, 35, 36, 36 cars? I mean, 36, yep three guys are going to go home and, 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 and yes, you prepare yourself for this whole thing. And then you have a, I don't know, you blow an engine and then you're done, but that's, that's life, right? That's, that's, that's the way it is. It's brutal. So I, I don't like the idea. That's my personal opinion. And the most nerve wracking thing uh, about qualifying, I would say is just really, uh, it's so long. I mean, four laps and, and it's, uh, the longest qualify we do all year, so it takes what almost like six minutes or something to do it. I don't know, like time wise, but usually we go out qualify you do two laps. You're done, right? I mean, then it's over in a short over. It's what a minute. And here is like, man, you do one, okay, you got to do the second one and the third one. The tires are getting bad, and you got to like play with your tools in the car, and then. So I would say for me, um, you know. the the qualifying run it's it's the tough one
0: kyle asks tony if you had raced your career in a whole different series what Uh, would it be
1: if i would race in another series yeah if you'd Uh, spent your whole
0: career in another series what would your choice be
1: that's a tough question i I, mean i'd think formula one but i don't know yeah, I mean, I, I would like to do Formula One, but the thing is, uh, then we need to extend the question. Uh, it's a Formula One in what team? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. Just to go there and participate. I would say, Marshall, actually, no. I would say I would love to do, like, a sports car. I always love the sports car, you know, like, you know, doing all these long 24-hour races and stuff. And IMSA, I would say IMSA, to be honest.
0: I love it. Now, are we talking a career in gts or prototypes i know you've enjoyed the gt stuff
1: you've done with ford Uh, but uh, i like the gts but i mean i will go prototype yeah they're faster you know and you like with the gt man you get past so many times it's crazy
0: you're i still smile when i think about your your performances in the acura lmp2 car back in the alms That, that was ridiculous
1: i mean i i love that program you know and you know we won so much i mean i was like I mean, that's, that's something, again, I still, I still miss those days.
0: All right. As we start to ramp down here and get to the last couple of questions, great one that that has come in from Ben Sanders says, Tony, would you ever consider doing an ESPN 30 for 30 type documentary, uh, or have you ever been approached about it? He says, you're just a a sponge full of incredible moments throughout (sighs) your career.
1: I mean, I saw that question and honestly, uh, I would love to, but that's not up to me. I mean, it's up to ESPN and I'm, I'm pretty sure nowadays with uh, now we're all NBC. I don't think I don't see that happening, but uh, I would love to. That's something that uh, I've watched them a, a bunch of them and, uh, you know, hey, if they're listening and they want to do it, we're ready.
0: NBCSN sixty for sixty. That's what we need for Tony Canon here.
1: Here you go.
0: Uh, Dan Gallagher says, "All right, you've been given. You and AJ have been given the keys to the IndyCar two-seater at Indianapolis. Who drives?" Oh,
1: come on, the boss drives. I mean, I can't. <laughs> I would offer him to drive me. I, that's that's. He won't let me. He won't let me drive. But I actually would say I want you to drive me.
0: I love it. All right, we've got three more to go. This is an interesting one. Definitely draws from your sports car experience. Uh, coming in from Kajan Woods says, not sure you've ever been asked about this, but the uh, virtual safety car method used in sports cars and also Formula One as well. But is that something you think IndyCar might consider looking at for road and street courses? Uh, what do you think about VSCs? Um,
1: uh, no, I don't, I don't like the idea of the virtual one. I think it's, you know, I love our tradition. We've been doing things the same way for a long time. So no, to, uh, to answer the question in the, the asked for the DRS no,
0: it sounds like we've got some future Indy car drivers named yeah. Kanan behind us here, which is a good I thing. i know.
1: sorry. My kid oh, just
0: got here. There's nothing to be sorry about. That's awesome. Well, TK. We've got two more to go. One from Jordan Darwin. Jordan says, Tony, we just passed Greg Moore's birthday. He asks, how do you remember or commemorate him over the years? And I know that you get asked about Greg a lot, but. Uh, he says any fun greg stories you might share for us
1: uh you know i mean greg is always going to be greg we i mean we remember him not every not every year just on his anniversaries like i remember greg dary and i all the time anytime we're doing silly things we'll go what what do we think greg would do mm. or he'll be sillier you know i mean we i mean so many stories uh, it's just uh, from you know, going to a movie theater on a rainy day in mid-Ohio and uh, Greg doing donuts in the parking lot at the movie theater and we get stopped by the police. And he uh, <laughs> it, it tells the guy that <laughs> that he had no idea what was going on, that the throttle got stuck and he was just turning until the car stopped. I mean, which is like, <laughs> okay, dude, come on.
0: Did the cop believe
1: it? You know, of course not. Good. And I said, Greg, you better stop before you get arrested. You know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> I love it so, but you know gone too soon I mean I know we keep we, we, you know we're getting tired of, of saying that but it's just gone too soon it, it's just uh, you know I mean he was a, a fun dude and, and again we, I know we talked about it we always talked about it I mean I would love to see what he would have become you know what I mean uh, how many 500s he would have won how many championships and all that so
0: well, I've just started, just started talking, spoke with our boy Dario and been meaning to catch up with you and we'll, we'll do this here and we get some time, but knowing that the 20th anniversary of Greg's loss is coming up later this year, definitely feeling like we need to get yourself, Dario, Pappas, uh, Albert, just a, a bunch of people, uh, who were very deeply connected we're, to Greg. We've
1: been talking about it, you know, that, so we're trying to throw a party. I t- I saw Rick Moore in Long Beach. And, uh, Rick was there and then we've been talking about like partying like Greg. So hopefully we'll get together and then do something for sure.
0: Yeah. And I think we're going to, I want to do kind of a multi-part podcast as well with just sitting down, telling stories, just bringing Greg cool. to those who uh, maybe never got a chance to know him.
1: That'll be awesome. Well,
0: let's go to our last question. Tom Boyers. It's all yours. You said, Tony, over the course of your career, who do you rate as the best all-round driver you've either shared a track with? Or gone up against, and he says, apart from Scott Dixon,
1: uh, Dario Franchini.
0: Ooh. Uh, oh, you're no gonna make doubt. that guy's head swell even more. Come yeah, on, now, no doubt, no doubt. What was it about Dario? Uh, what was the da- thing that Dario made you was, respect him?
1: Um, very meticulous. I mean, he wouldn't, uh, you know, Dario would be like always like like trying to make it better, trying to make it better, trying to make it like it's never like Dario, the car is good, no. No, 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 still not good still not good and and that guy when he puts everything together like the car that he wants to drive he is unbeatable like it's it's it's, it's unbelievable and his determination I like his work ethic I mean he's I mean, we're the opposites right I'm, I'm very passionate and like explosive and he's always calm he's always like no we'll be alright and you, you could be like that Last, he's like no don't worry we're gonna fix it so and then, uh, you know head wise, like he was, his head in the right place. He's he, he drove fast. I mean, it it's just he was a complete race car driver, in my opinion. I mean, uh, obviously, I'm pretty sure there are plenty of other talented people that I could say, Zanardi and and Dan, you know. But they all have their own particularities and and their own strengths. But I mean, I think, in my opinion, I mean, as far as uh, you know, obviously, I can only talk about the people that that I raced against it's tough to judge somebody if I haven't raced against. So I'm not, I'm not even going to go there. I, I would say on that question, I need to put the people that I raced in the same team because I know their work ethic and Dario by far is, uh, you know, to me, he, as you said, Scott Dixon doesn't count. So that would be Dario.
0: Tony, not only thank you for taking some time here, thank you for helping us to kick off our first week in IndyCar episode of May we're also now that we're into May, celebrating the third anniversary of my podcast, and I believe you were among my first ten guests. So thank yeah. you for helping me to make this awesome. thing come to life, my friend.
1: Anytime, my friend. Hope uh, you know. Hopefully, we'll do that, Greg Moore, one uh, pretty soon.
0: Amen to that. Enjoy your day, my friend, and I'll see you Thanks here wonderful. shortly.
1: Appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Thanks, brother. Braden, Eve's really happy to have you here. We have the current points leading, championship leading, U.S. F2000 driver. How are you doing, my man? You're somewhat close to me in Utah, but uh, how are you doing this fine evening?
2: I am fantastic. Yeah, I just uh, flew in. It's been a little bit hectic the last couple days. Um, I was actually in New Smyrna testing on the Oval for the first time, so that was good. And then flew home, had a short night, like five hours of sleep, and then flew out here um, for a karting race that I'm doing. So I'm good.
0: The high-life of a young open-wheel race car driver. I love it. Well, let me start off by mentioning something that uh, I mentioned in the open a bit. I appreciate the fact that you, being very proactive, reached out and said, hey, let's do something on the podcast. And I don't say that from an ego standpoint. I say that from a, with many young drivers trying to get either recognized make a name for themselves, bring their personality forward in the sport. A lot of effort gets put into social media. Let me tweet something funny. Let's go find a meme. Maybe people will like me that way. Then we have (laughs) your approach, which is, Hey, let me actually reach out and talk to people and just want to connect and communicate. And I just wanted to, as I mentioned to you uh, earlier just impressed with the fact that I'm sure this is something that you will continue to do and it will only serve you hopefully when you get up to and into even IndyCar, just being that person who's willing to reach out, connect and bring themselves forward. It's a, 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 not a necessarily an easy thing to do for everyone where it's just easier to kind of tap away at your phone in a relative safety and peace.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely. It did. Uh, it was a little bit funny, um, as that was like how I reached out to you over Twitter, um, and how you had as- Oliver ask you and and Colton on right before they won. Especially Colton, you know, being in his rookie year, um, it was. It was. Uh, I think it's a little bit of a good luck thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, Let's
0: talk again after the Indy GP, because if you win there, well. There might be something to this. I might have to start sending out invoices for appearances by young drivers, but all kidding aside, let's get into your season, your development, as we try to spotlight young drivers, team owners, you name it, on the Cooper tires supported road to Indy. You dipped your toes into USF 2000 last year, but for those who don't know your story before you got to the road to Indy. Tell us about growing up. Tell us about your Midwestern roots and where motor racing landed in your family, where this passion has emanated from.
2: Yeah, for sure. So I grew up in uh, Gahanna, Ohio, um, just recently moved to New Albany, Ohio, home of uh, the Ray Halls. Um, I started in karting when I was six, like many other other drivers. Um, although I don't think it wasn't really like, a, oh, like he's six now, let's go karting. It was It was a family thing. Um, My dad got into karting. My brother, my older brother, got into karting, and I did all at the same time, Um, and did it really as a family activity for fun. Um, And me being me, got super competitive into it and just loved it. I love the competition, you know. So I did karting until 2017. I made my um, open wheel appearance um, in the F4 US Championship. Dip my toes in there, um, didn't really have the budget for a full season or anything, and kind of went out on a whim and and did my first race at the Indy GP, or actually not the Indy GP, but it was at Indianapolis in F4. And uh, straight out of the gate was competitive, so it kind of snowballed from there. Did a couple more races, um, landing on the podium six times in the eight events that I did um, that first, or the eight races that I did that first year. Um, and then last year kind of dipped my toes in a USF 2000 after doing a few F4 races again, um, was nominated for the Team USA scholarship. Um, and unfortunately wasn't able to accept that due to, um, was actually in the hospital getting a couple of surgeries.
0: Yeah. And um, that was something I wanted to bring up as well. We're not talking about, so is passing this guy around the outside at 400 miles an hour and stacked it into the barrier, and that's how I got hurt. You dealt with a rather odd injury that wasn't from doing anything crazy or heroic in a race car, I believe, but just something rather strange for someone very young like yourself.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's not really like when you're 18 years old, you don't think, that something would happen to you like what happened to me and it's just it kind of it I didn't even know what was going on for a while like it I didn't even have symptoms until after I had the surgeries and they were like well this has been going on for a couple of years now
0: and this is an aneurysm I believe that you had in, in one of your arms or shoulders
2: yeah so in my in my left shoulder I had an aneurysm which luckily it was going down my body rather than to my brain because obviously that would have been much much worse but it was an aneurysm caused by my ribs, my t- two of my ribs that were pinching off the artery that led to my arm. And that sent blood down my arm, completely blocked off all blood flow into my arm. And uh, it really got bad when that last little bit, you know, completely blocked it off. And that was kind of early last year is when I started feeling it and it just got worse and worse and worse. And we were I was going to, you know, different doctors trying to diagnose it, got a couple of uh, misdiagnoses from from doctors and eventually figured it out. So it's, it's definitely it was it was good to get it all diagnosed and figured out so that we could move forward and and I could heal from it. But I think I don't know, I, I think I would have figured it out earlier had I been uh, a little bit less naive to to things like that, you know.
0: So this to your surprise and to the rather unexpected uh, levels for a young driver, showing talent, working his way up, this did become a pause moment for you. The, the proverbial bump in the road that you had to overcome. Tell us about coming into 2019 now where in theory you're cleared physically, you're good to go had to take a little bit of a step back, but you definitely showed enough talent to earn great recognition from Jeremy Shaw's Team USA scholarship. Uh, tell us about deciding what to do, where to do, and how to do it in 2019 and how you ended up with Cape.
2: Yeah, so that was definitely a, a huge part of, of all last year. I was trying to figure out where to go. Um, I did the first three rounds of the F4 US Championship and was planning on doing the full season, Um, but some mechanical failures and just overall bad luck kind of took me out of the championship. And from there, as well as lingering health issues, it was like, okay, I was focusing on the team USA scholarship and trying to, trying to go ahead and get that. So I kind of took a step back um, with the guidance of Jeremy Shaw and did an F 1600 race, which I ended up winning two of the three and and finishing second in the, in the third race. So that was, that was really good for my confidence after coming off of some bad runs in F four. And then it was, I knew that I wanted to be in the road to Indian USF 2000 in 2019. So I I reached out to Brian Hallahan at, at Newman walks racing to see about doing Portland and everything ended up working out. He had a, he had an empty seat. So I ended up racing at Portland and admittedly was not in the best of health at the time. That was like two weeks before I went in the hospital, but I did the absolute best that I could, um, in the condition that I was in and ended up getting a sixth place. I qualified fourth for one of the races and then ended up getting in a first turn incident. Um, but that was definitely good, um, just to get into the series a little bit, see how the series runs, get in the car, get some more seat time, and it was good. So
0: so coming out of that, where does the, the move to where you are right now in 2019 fall? And that's maybe coming from the standpoint of, hey, man, you kicked a lot of butt in the season opener at St. Petersburg. So if we're at least trying to evaluate your decision-making capabilities, uh, let's say at least so far, you've done pretty darn good.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone that goes in a USF knows that Cape is the team to beat. And they're so good at what they do. They've taught me a monumental amount that you know, I thought I was good before, but I'm just I feel like my driving is on another level from where it was before before I joined the team. They've taught me absolutely so much. And I see people like Oliver Askew and Kyle Kirkwood that have went up with Cape and me trying to emulate that as much as possible, coming from this uh, basically the same background in karting as they did. I'm I was just trying to you know get myself into that same same route that they're going. that is so successful and it worked out. I didn't I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to go with Cape until literally a couple days before the deadlines were, and I ended up getting something sorted out. So it was huge for me going in knowing that the car was going to be good um all off season i was rejuvenating my my health condition and in the gym non-stop just trying to get back my fitness my neck strength was big because they ended up cutting one of the ribs that they took out was actually called a cervical rib most people don't have it but i ended up having it and that's kind of what caused a lot of the issues but um, I was trying to get a lot of my neck strength back and just overall muscle mass back before the season started. So it was a huge process up to St. Pete and to go in and get two wins. Wow. You know,
0: speaking of muscle mass, I'm hoping you are working out with fellow Ohioan Zach Veach, who has put on about 400 pounds of muscle to get himself up to 132 pounds or so. But yeah, um, Let's talk, Braden, about this interesting calendar pacing that we have uh, with the road to Indy. So, you were fortunate in the days leading up to the season opener or just leading up to the first round in St. Pete, land with a great team, storied, very storied team. Win, just have a wonderful weekend. Win everything there is to win there. Come out of St. Pete, leading the championship. It must feel like a lifetime ago, my man. That was March 10th. Uh, (laughs) We're going into the Indy GP here. Uh, Yeah, weekend of, you know, the 10th, 11th, Um, two months off. I, I know that for maybe IndyCar teams that are grinding the whole time, it's nice to have this little pause between Long Beach and the Indy GP. But for a young line like yourself, and I'm sure teammates and friends throughout the road to Indy, how do you deal with this? Go, go, go. All right. Now what the hell do I do for the next two months?
2: Yeah, for me, it's, it's big in not getting relaxed during that, that off period. Right. I need to be on the simulator all the time. I've been on the simulator all the time in the gym, making sure that my mindset isn't getting relaxed, especially being the lead, the points leader with the target on my back. Like it's easy to, to get a little bit relaxed, but I know if I get relaxed, it's going to, my results are going to show it. And that's the, that's the big thing is just keeping the race, the race mode on through the entire two month break and, and just keep pushing, keep trying to improve whenever I can. So that's the big thing for me.
0: Well, you're going to finally, along with your rivals and those in the Indy Pro 2000 category and Indy lights, fire up engines, get busy. Go play motor racing for real here very, very soon. Well, let's do this. Let's close on the couple of questions that came in for you on your first little visit here to the week in IndyCar. And hopefully this will be the first of many as we uh, chronicle your career on the way up. And who knows, maybe if you get to IndyCar, you'll have to deal with myself and Robin Miller and some of the other old farts giving you a hard time like we do with Colton and Pato and the rest of the young bastards who we love. All right, let's go. We got two uh, two primary questions that came in here. Let's go to Don Davis, who's wanting to know a little bit about the machines that you drive and comparing it to an Indy car. So I don't believe I've seen you test an Indy car, but you probably know enough to be able to help here. Don says yeah. it's always good to see another Central Ohio driver in IndyCar. Could you explain the primary difference between your USF 2000 machine and an Indy car? Do you have push to pass, alternate tires? the ability to change ride height, cambers, damper settings, etc. So I think Don's wanting to learn more about the category that you are in.
2: Yeah, so our cars are a much more simplified version of a formula, formula car. Um, we don't have push to pass. Um, our cars are manufactured by Tatus in Italy as opposed to Del- uh, Delera. I'm not sure where Dallara is out of, but um, we don't have push to pass. We do have uh, the ability to change cambers, ride heights, um, anti-roll bars, um, front and rear wing settings, all that stuff, but it's, it's extremely simple in comparison to IndyCar, um, and it gives us a good platform to learn setup, um, as it is much more simple, and we're not kind of thrown into the deep end with a million changes that you can make in IndyCar. Um, we have a lot less horsepower than they do. We have about 175, and I think they're closer to 700, yep. something like Over that. Over 700. That yep. Yep. So they have a lot more power. They have the push to pass, um, a lot more downforce than us because they have a a much bigger uh, rear diffuser, and we just have a, a real little one. Um, and that's that's those are the biggest things off the top of my head, um, for sure. I'm I'm sure I'm missing some things, but. How much, the big differences.
0: how much do you enjoy that side of things, Braden? And I will mention that I think the time has passed where young drivers could get by on just gobs of natural talent. There was a there was a long period of time where holy cow, that kid might not know the front of the car from the back of the car, but he or she is always going P1. <laughs> I think, yeah. time, I, think, I think with cars becoming more and more spec, uh, lots of things being controlled, natural talent really isn't enough to do that alone. So it really does mean that there can be almost no laziness when it comes to applying the same dedication you have, say, to being in the gym, to being on a simulator, etc. There, there almost has to be the same level of fanatical commitment to learning the technical and engineering side of the cars that you drive, where do you fall on that discipline from a liking it, loving it? Is it something you have to force yourself to do? Where do you fall?
2: Oh, I love it. Honestly. Um, for me, like that's one of the things where you can make a difference in, in how smart you are and how, how much you put into learning about that kind of a thing and the feedback you give, obviously we're not in complete control we're not like making all the calls we have our i have my engineer dominant cape um but when i'm at home i'm on the sim and i really like because on on the sim everyone kind of makes their own setup right and i have worked through tons of setups and the whole process of it i think is really fun to just knock off especially on the sim you can do as many laps as possible you just knock off one change okay that was better that was worse and it's the same kind of process that you go through in real life. So I think it's one of the big things that if you get really good at it, that can make the, a huge difference, especially in a championship run, to make sure that your car is always as good as it can possibly be in the race. So that is one of my favorite parts, honestly, of, of the open-wheel side of things.
0: A kid after my own heart. Braden. let's go to our last question here. This comes from our friend Jameen Tuttle, who says, Hey, Braden, I read that you graduated in 2018. And that you are among the top students nationwide in the SAT. Is it nice to get to race without the pressure of being in high school?
2: Absolutely, yes. Um, yeah, it's it's been a huge help um, to be out of school and just put one hundred percent focus towards racing. Um, I honestly have a lot of respect for the people that do do it while they're in college. Um, for me, right now, it's it was definitely a better move for me to just focus 100 on racing i have to put every single ounce of effort into it into learning as much as i can um especially um because i think a lot more a lot of people i would say i have some of the least amount of formula car experience in the usf 2000 field so for me i have to put every single ounce of uh, of effort and time into racing as well as raising money for racing which is a huge part of it um but, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's good to not go to a race and be, like, thinking about that test that you have to take on Monday right after you get home. Um, it, ta- it takes a lot of stress off you um, from the personal side of things, and uh, it's, definitely, it was, it's definitely a good move for me to be just focusing 100% on racing.
0: Jameen also says, what did you learn at St. Petersburg that might help you go for the sweep at the Indy GP, even though they are very different circuits? And he says, we'll be watching from turn seven and we'll be uh, rooting you on.
2: I think St. Pete was really an eye opener to how important qualifying was. Um, because I, as I qualified on pole for race one, I was able to just check out and gaps the whole field. Whereas in race two, I qualified second, didn't get best restart, or the, the best start, was in third. And it's it's quite hard especially on a street course to be able to push that extra little bit when you have the walls there and try to gain the time um and i ended up getting the last two people in the last corner with the incident with darren and and uh christian but i think it really proved to me how important qualifying is so definitely i'm going to be putting a lot more focus to getting on that that the pole position for the race as i think that's the most important thing that you can do going into it so I think that'll definitely help me in Indy if I, if I can uh, do a better job in qualifying um, for sure.
0: Braden Eves. Thanks for taking some time, my man. Thanks for not only being the championship leader, but also a leader among most of your road to Indy rivals and reaching out and saying, Hey, let's have a fun conversation and help answer questions for fans and just do our best to bring what we do in the road to Indy forward. So, Thanks for being a forward thinker. Obviously smart as well, Mr. SAT. And uh, I look forward to seeing you here in Indianapolis in a little over a week.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah, I've been a big fan of the podcast. Always, when I, when I'm a, whenever I'm on a long drive, I'll always um, listen in on a podcast. It's, I always find it super interesting to see what different drivers have to say. So I really appreciate you having me on and uh, I'm looking forward to being on in the future, hopefully.
0: Amen to that. All right, son. Well, enjoy yourself, and we will speak soon.